I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter. We welcome you tonight. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have friends or family who might want to watch the show, call them and have them go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they just click on the TV shows and it will tell you how you can get streaming video where they can watch the show from anywhere in the world live. Uh, also, we have an old-fashioned gospel meeting, which is going on at 6.30 p.m. every night this week, ending Friday. It's at the Canyon View Park in Spanish Fork, Utah, and the sponsors are Faith Baptist, Hope Baptist, Provo Baptist, and Victory Baptist. So there might be some Baptists there. If you're interested in going, it's the old-fashioned gospel meeting. Check that out. Uh, In-house guests tonight, we have Lindsay and Jamie and Travis and Bruce and Don and Kevin and Micah and Celeste and Craig. Now, just to let you know, Lindsay and Travis are both 19, and there are sparks flying in the, in the air on the set of Heart of the Matter tonight. All right, uh, also, shout-outs to my friend Madison. Call me about your baptism, young lady. Uh, Carl W. and his family, my little friend Alex, Lucy's grandson, great to meet you. Nancy, thank you for your suggestions. Dilectus and Boudica, great insights. Luella C., thank you for the email. My good friends Dan Vogel and Michael Marquart. Dan is a great scholar who writes a lot of things about Joseph Smith, expert in early Mormon documents. Uh, Michael Marquardt is a walking encyclopedia. Amazing knowledge. I quote him often in Born Again Mormon, the book that we wrote. Had a fantastic dinner with him the other night. Talk about knowledge and insights. It was like, it was like a bad example, but it was like having a member of the, being a member of the Harry Potter fan club and having J.K. Rowling herself come and sit there and talk. These guys know their stuff so well. So thanks for your time. Some sites to consider, always www.utlm.org, www.utlm.org. If you want to know facts, go there, my friends. Uh, MormonScriptureStudies.com, another great resource. XMission, the letter X and mission.com. And you can always come to BornAgainMormon.com if you're uh, looking for a different approach to reaching your LDS friends. Also, a shout-out to Alan and Linda H. Okay. Uh, we had some fallout from my comments about losing your salvation last week. Ramona and Nate, in particular, sent me 
some information, quite a bit of information about how wrong I am on the idea that you can lose your salvation. And all I want to say about that is I don't want to have it split us. Uh, I, I do believe that it is possible based on the context of the Bible as a whole. I know the passages that you're sharing with me are um, of value and they have a purpose. But in context of the whole, I still believe there is a place for people who can turn against the Holy Ghost and, uh, and commit the unpardonable sin. But I, don't, I think you'd have to work very hard to lose it, long story short. Next week, we're going to have a two-hour special of Heart of the Matter, beginning at 8, ending at 10. And we're going to have two very special guests. Sandra Tanner from Utah Lighthouse Ministries will be with us. As, and so will Doris Hansen, who came out of uh, a polygamous family at 18, snuck away in the middle of the night, and now spends her time trying to help people transition out of that. We're going to talk about and summarize polygamy as a whole, past, uh, present, and future if it continues to exist. So uh, just thought I'd tell you about that. A young teenager I am quite familiar with attended an LDS youth conference testimony meeting last Sunday. This is an event, this is an event where the teens get up and they uh, share their testimonies, all the teens who attended the conference. And from her count, there was about 48 to 50 kids who uh, bore their testimony. She decided that, uh, knowing me, that she was going to take some notes about what was said at this testimony meeting, representing about 10 different wards in the Southern California area. And of the 50 or so kids who got up and spoke, seven six or seven, but we'll say seven, actually said something about Jesus in their testimony and gratitude for the religion in their life. The other 43 talked about Joseph, talked about the church, talked about their leaders, talked about their friends. Jesus did not come up in the 43 of the public pronouncements of the six. I think that's indicative of where Latter-day Saints are as a whole and where their youth are. Something's wrong with that picture. Uh, there is a movement afoot in Utah, my friends, and uh, it's so exciting. I talked with a good, uh, had a chance to sit down with Pastor Scott McKinney of uh, Christ Evangelical Church uh, this week, and uh, they had a meeting, and 21 people were baptized in a pond uh, up in Orem, I think it is, or Provo, I'm not sure where the pond was, but 21 people committed their lives uh, and that's a lot of people in Happy Valley down there, BYU area. And so there's a movement afoot. Jesus is calling. He's trying to woo people to him and bring them the saving knowledge of Christ. And so I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we uh, dedicate this time to you. We thank you. We praise your name. Uh, we ask you to be with our uh, studio audience, our operators, uh, all the technical stuff that goes on until the television program. Help me to say the things you want me to say and bless our viewers, people passing by that we'll be able to have them, uh, help them come to know you. Bless the boys' family who drowned in Bear Lake this week. Bless those minors who are in this state who are trapped underground in their families, whatever is the situation there. Just help the state and the people in it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to move, I was going to move on tonight and leave Joseph Smith's polygamous activities uh, and its results for later on in the year. But I thought I would use this time to sort of summarize Joseph's dalliances 
and then return to the subject when we get to Brigham Young here in Salt Lake City. So far, we've covered the lives of Joseph Smith's first four wives. Tonight, I will cover the life of a fifth and then call these short bios uh, quits until we get to Brigham Young. But remember, Todd Compton, LDS author who's an expert on Joseph Smith's wives, decided to research 33 women which he could seriously and professionally prove uh, were Joseph's uh, extra wives. D. Michael Quinn, Fawn Brody, and George D. Smith list 46, 43, and 48 wives respectively. All of this may be causing us to forget that maybe one extra wife is wrong. Uh, they're debating whether it was 33 or 46. Uh, it's, it's very funny uh, in and of itself. I mentioned a few shows ago that I had the opportunity to meet a young man uh, who was raised in a polygamous family and came to Squatter's Pub one night after the show and he was pursuing a woman there to become one of his uh, extra wives. He's the one who said, quote, how difficult po uh, polygamy, who, he's the one who, when I said how difficult polygamy must be on the other wives said, salvation doesn't come easy, all right? When I asked him about the whys for his polygamous art, he made several revealing statements. He said, quote, because God commanded it through the prophet Joseph Smith and the LDS church ran from it in order to please Babylon. Uh, so which church, I asked, the FLDS or the LDS is truly following Mormon doctrine? We are, he replied. And he was right. Well, what is it about polygamy that makes it so beneficial, I asked. Quote, it is the best situation for children, came the response. I grew up with 75 brothers and sisters and 15 moms. I don't think there's a better system for raising children than this. The whole thing is a blessing to children, the family unit, and even the women and men involved if they would just learn to submit. I explain that just because something works doesn't necessarily make it right in God's eyes. I said that Marxism works in many parts of the world, uh, but it doesn't mean it's right. Fascism has worked in different parts. Imperialism works. works. Even Hitler's um, uh, perfect society and master race had benefits, but none of those are from God. I then had a conversation over the phone with another polygamist last week. And he, from him, I learned that the Bible cannot be trusted because uh, it isn't complete in its information. And how do, why do I say this? Because when we had the conversation about uh, polygamy not being right, and he said, how do you know that? And I said, well, it was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Jane. From the beginning, he said, how do you know it wasn't Adam and Eve and Jane? And I said, well, the Bible says Adam and Eve. Well, how do you know there wasn't a, a Jane and, an, uh, and a Susan and a Margaret? And so when you can look at the Bible like that, it's open completely to taking it any way you want. You can say anything you want and make anything you want true. I then started to think about Joseph Smith's fifth wife, who was a sister from his fourth wife of Zena Diantha Huntington. Her name was Prescindia Lanthrop Huntington. And allow me to end uh, my talk about Joseph's polygamy with a discussion on her and then summarize what, what happened with polygamy in the state. Prescindia was married to a man named Norman Buell when Joseph took her as his polyandrous wife. 
Okay, remember that polyandrous means she already had a husband and Joseph made her his wife too. Now stop and ask yourself, what does this say about the man they call the prophet? She was married to another man. Let this sink in. She was married to another man happily and Joseph took her as his wife. Did God really want this or did Joseph really want this? It seems Prescindia was a Christian in her heart, and in a letter her mother wrote, she said that the girl had experienced, quote, a saving change of heart when she was young. As mentioned, Zena and Prescindia's family were strong Christians before they got caught up with Joseph, but carried many Christian elements into Mormonism as a result of their upbringing. These elements include seeing visions, speaking in tongues, and expressing a number of other charismatic gifts. Priscindia was 16 when she married Norman Buell, who was 22. Her husband was a hard-working farmer who truly provided for Priscindia's needs. Prior to joining Mormonism, Priscindia had several children. In 1831, her second toddler was walking through the house and fell into a vat of boiling cider and died. A horrific death. She also lost her third son shortly after birth. In 1835, her sister Zena introduced Prescindia and her husband Norman, the Book of Mormon, and they soon moved to Kirtland, Ohio, joining Joseph Smith, where they were baptized. Norman uh, then became an ordained elder in the church, and the couple began to move up the ranks of the church hierarchy. In 1838, they traveled with Joseph on a trip to Missouri, and then moved into a primitive log cabin. Prescindia gave birth to another child, a baby girl, who also died shortly thereafter. Four children between she and her husband, three of them dead. When in Missouri, Norman became disaffected from the church, refusing to buy into Joseph Smith's tales any longer. This was terribly difficult for Prescindia, but she remained by her husband's side. Norman remained faithful to her and worked very hard for her family. He soon built them a new log home and moved them from out of the log hut and woods. Norman was a good husband, but Prescindia wanted a faithful LDS man. When her husband and brothers went to visit Joseph Smith in Liberty Jail, Prescindia decided to join them with dinner in tow. She visited him on another occasion, and Joseph even wrote to her from prison. The letter was not salacious, but instead expressed a true friendship between he and Prescindia and Norman. When Prescindia's family left the state, she and Norman decided to remain behind. Several of her letters are filled with a yearning to know just how Brother Joseph is doing. Quote, Compton suggests that family members were taking Prescindia aside when she was visiting them and advising her to leave Norman. This is typical in LDS homes even today. When I asked to be excommunicated from the church, the bishop of the ward that we attended took my wife aside and told her to leave me. This is not hypothetical. This is the truth. I was, according to my wife and my children, and, and even in my heart, I have always tried to be a very good father, whatever I can do, and a husband. And the bishop said, you got to get away from this guy. In 1840, Prescindia bore her sixth child, who actually lived to maturity and then the family moved to Lima, Illinois, about 30 miles outside of Mormon-established Nauvoo. One year later, Joseph Smith married Prescindia's sister, Zena, 
who we talked about two weeks ago, and about the same time is said to have introduced the principal, that's what they called it, to her sister, Prescindia. LDS writer Wells records, quote, Joseph himself taught the principle of plural marriage to Sister Prescindia, and her heart was humble, and her mind open to receive the revelations of heaven. She knew Joseph to be a man of God, and she had received many manifestation in proof of this, and consequently when he explained to her clearly the knowledge which he had obtained from the Lord, she accepted the sealing ordinance with Joseph as a sacred and holy confirmation. This process is disastrous because just like the polygamist I spoke with, it opens up everybody to being manipulated and deceived based on what someone wants them to believe. You go to the Word and it tells you how things are. Read it in context. You step outside of the Word and you start coming up with your own stuff and everybody is subject to being deceived including Prescindia. It is important to understand the dynamics of this whole plural marriage event. First, there had to be a rush knowing that you had other women who were desiring to be cemented to you forever. Whoa. Then there was a sort of special Gnostic vibe that came along with being part of the elite inner circle of the ultimate faithful. We're going to hear from Prescindia later where she admits to this. Wells wrote that Prescindia and the other of Smith's wives felt like, quote, they belonged to a small but select group of spiritually elite people, quote, separate and apart from all others. Their minds were more expanded. New light had burst upon them, and they were buoyed up by a spirit which they scarcely understood. I bet they were. In addition to the elated emotions of being special and elite as Joseph's wives, there were added benefits of accepting the principle. Dimmick Huntington, who was, one of the, who was the one who secretly sealed the sisters to Joseph Smith, uh, had a special blessing given to him for having performed that sealing. Oliver Huntington, another bro brother, wrote this, quote, Soon after Dimmick had given our sisters Zina and Prescindia to Joseph as wives for eternity, Joseph offered Dimmick any reward he wanted. Again, ask yourself, does this sound like something that God would want? For a, a brother to give up his married sisters to a man who said that God wanted him to have those married sisters? Does that really logically sound like it's of God? Or does it sound like it's something that doesn't come from this, but comes from the mind and heart and other places of a man? Think about it. Uh, Dimmick's request was that, Joseph, where your family and fathers are, there I and my fathers and family would like to be. That was the special blessing reward he requested of Joseph. LDS writer Compton says, quote, Relatives of Smith's plural wives were often awarded increased salvation after helping to arrange a plural marriage. Increased salvation. Think. Are you sitting there in your living room? Think about this. Increased salvation. Can there be anything more arrogant that you've ever heard of in your life? both on the people who think they're going to get an increased salvation and on the part of the person who's promising it. Huh. Okay, not many months later, 
Prescindia lost another child to what they called Summer's Complaint. Shortly thereafter, Joseph Smith was killed. Heber C. Kimple jumped in on Prescindia and made her his wife, even though she was still wed to Norman, who was by this time considered a heretic. After receiving her endowment in Nauvoo, she was resealed to Joseph Smith with Heber C. Kimball standing in it as proxy for the fallen prophet. And then she was sealed to Heber C. Kimball for time. She became his wife for time, Joseph's for eternity, Norman's for whatever. I don't know. Heber C. Kimball had 35 wives at the time. For the next few months, Prescindia would continue to actually live with the man to whom she was first wed, Norman. But because Norman would not follow the saints to Nauvoo, her brother-in-law, in all holy seriousness, wrote that Prescindia left him and followed, quote, after her Lord, meaning Heber C. Kimball. Does this not reveal the whole premise of the principle? To make women wives and subservient to a man who becomes their Lord? I think it does. Wake, just, we got to wake the freak up. I mean, come on, wake up. Look at the facts. This stuff speaks to you. It used to speak to me. It used to say, what is wrong? Oh, no, no, no. I, you know, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. What is this? Oh, no, no, no. Follow, fo believe in it, believe in it. Believe in the gold plates, believe in it. Oh, no, no, no. You are so conflicted. Look at the facts. Don't trust me if you think I'm a liar. That's okay. Get mad at me if you want. Go to utlm.org and check out the facts. It's right there from the history. Let me go on. As I reviewed my notes on this subject written maybe a year ago, I found that I wrote, quote, as an organization, the LDS Church claims it stands for families, but here in the case of Norman and Prescindia's family, it reveals that the church only stands for families that are active in the church doing what they want. It does not stand for any family if a member of that family turns its back on the church. When a parent becomes an apostate, families fly out the window and spouses, even spouses married with children, are told to abandon ship. Do they really attempt to break up couples and families over church allegiance? Absolutely yes. The church is supreme and superior to families in this religion. You want to test it? Go to your bishop and say you don't believe the Joseph Smith story anymore and you want out of this thing and it's a charade and you see what he tells your wife. Just test it. Traveling at night, Prescindia left Norman and their 16-year-old son without warning or notice. She gave it up and she bailed out. She received word that Norman was almost crazy, quote, when he learned he had lost her to the Mormon movement headed back west with Brigham Young. Prescindia, Prescindia then entered Heber C. Kimball's extended family kingdom. Before his death in 1868, he would have married 45 women altogether. Because of demands on his time, Heber could not provide for these wives, and they were usually left to fend for themselves financially. Sixteen of these women left him because of in the indifference he showed toward their personal sustenance. Salvation does not come easy in polygamy. It also became very apparent that Heber had his favorite wives. Practical polygamy revealed that the natural result of the principle was a bond between sisters and a hierarchy that always existed, which usually included where each wife was supposed to live. The more favored the wife, the nicer her living conditions. So you can see among these 45 wives, whoever kowtowed most to the man is going to get the best house. 
And if, they, if there was someone in there arguing and fighting with the sister wives, well, you're going to live in a hut. That's how it was. He became their Lord and God. Bless them with their sustenance. Bless them with a living space. Priscilla found herself having to earn her own living. She did it by teaching school and tending house for others. Prior to the trek west in Utah, Norman, her husband, traveled to winter quarters and begged her to return to the family. She refused, keeping her marriage to Kimball a secret from him, thereby giving Norman hope that she might wait for him in Utah. As an interesting side note, and just for your information, Prescindia was set apart by Willard Richards to do sealings, washing, and anointings. She was known to lay hands on men and give them all kinds of blessings. This ability for women to bless and lay hands on men was lost in the late 19th century. More on that in shows to come. Once in Utah in 1849, Prescindia bore a child to Heber C. Kimball. Her name was Prescindia Celestia. Listen to the care that was taken to assist in the comforts of a preg pregnant plural wife. This is from Prescindia herself. She wrote, the house was so primitive that they had to put an umbrella over the bed to protect me and the child from the rain. When Celestia was just a child, she drowned in the City Creek, a place that is not very far from this television station. It was the seventh unexpected child death in that Prescindia would face. She went into a deep depression, and after that, her health turned poor. Accounts state that she nearly died. But guess what? There was hope, because less than a year later, she was pregnant again. When she was 41, she gave birth to her last son. His name? Joseph Smith Kimball. By, by 1857, she was living in a semi-communal home with other wives of Heber C. Kimball. Like the Lord he was, Heber C. Kimball would frequently make demands for having one wife move in of a place and another wife move out. But his favorite wife, Violet, who was his first, always lived in the big white house and never had to move. When told by Heber C. Kimball to move to Provo, Utah, Prescindia wrote, quote, It is annoying to be obliged by Heber C. Kimball to submit to it again. But she moved as instructed. Later, she got a bit tired of her lordship's decisions on where she had to move and why, and she wrote to him saying, Brother Kimball, quote, When I make this move today, I shall have moved 21 times by your request. Oh, salvation does come hard for the polygamous wife, doesn't it? Nevertheless, Prescindia remained faithful to the principal and its charismatic author, Joseph Smith. On June 27, 1859, she and some other wives of Joseph gathered and commemorated his death. They hiked to the summit of Ensign Peak, and there they made an altar of stone and knelt around it. Prescindia wrote, We offered up our prayers to God and thanks that he had raised up a prophet in these last days, and the gospel had been restored to the earth, listen to this, and that we had been of the few that had received the truth. Elitism. Then they sang, blessed each other, and noted that they felt Joseph's presence. On June 22, 1868, Heber C. Kimball died of a head injury. A child was left on Prescindia's doorstep who became her daughter. But like the others, this child within a few years died. Eight dead. In November of 1873, Prescindia stood in proxy as seven deceased women were also sealed to Joseph Smith as he was in the eternity somewhere. In a final letter, she wrote to her sister wife, 
Mary Leitner Smith, Joseph, of course, was mentioned. Jesus was not. She died in 1892 in Salt Lake City at the age of 81. Eight years after the death of Joseph Smith, the LDS Church publicly announced the practice of the principle. It was read in a general conference by uh, Apostle Orson Pratt. Brigham Young be, uh, made polygamy rather practical, having 55 wives of his own and 56 children. People often ask why the LDS continued to practice polygamy once Joseph died. Let me conclude with some statements that were made about the principle and give you some interesting insights as to why people continue to practice it today. All right, and this is, uh, comes, this first one comes from the Deseret News, 1855, November 14th, quote, Now if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and continue to do so, I promise that you will be damned. From Journal of Discourses, volume 11, page 269, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy. I heard the revelation on polygamy and I believe it with all my heart. Do you think that we shall ever be admitted as a state into the union without denying the practice of the principle of polygamy? If we are not admitted until then, we shall never be admitted. Meaning we will never stop the practice of polygamy because we can't become gods unless we practice it. Finally, reported in the Deseret News, 1873, September 17th, quote, now where a man in his church says, I don't want but one wife, I will live my religion with one. He will perhaps be saved in the celestial kingdom, but when he gets there, he will not find himself of possession of any wife at all. He has had a talent that was his hit up. He will come forward and say, here is that which thou hast given me, and I wasted it not, and here is the one talent. And he will not enjoy it, but it will be taken and given to those who have improved the talents they received. And he will find himself without any wife, and he will remain single forever and ever. Meaning, if you don't practice polygamy on this earth, according to Brigham Young, then your wife that you are sealed to in the temple, when you die and are in the celestial kingdom, will be taken from you like a talent and given to another man who practiced the principle. You wonder why these FLDS are so strong in their, in their beliefs of polygamy? It's because of this. You wonder why the LDS Church keeps Doctrine and Covenants 132 in their canon? It's because of this, and they still believe it. Step out, President uh, Hinckley, and admit it. Don't be deceptive. We are going to really get into it next week when we bring in Sandra Tanner, we bring in Doris Hansen, and we examine what, the, what really has gone on with this despicable practice that you continue to endorse spiritually in those temples that you say are so holy and of God. All right, we're going to open up the phones. We're going to Larry in Adrian, oh, Idaho. Uh, Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hi. Good evening again, Sean from Eaton, Oregon. Good me. Good evening, Larry. How are you? Yeah. I was, you know, I'm watching a TV, a television, an advertisement the other day. Yeah. At the big Edwards Theater in Napa, Idaho, showed this big hole in the ground with thousands of people walking on, just stepping in the hole. I saw that. And to hear these other people are going the other direction. No, 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 no. That ain't the way we want to go. They want to get the right hamburger from Jack in the Box, whoever it was. You know. What a rendition of the people, the way of the world is wide, you know, to destruction. So, Larry, you have a question? That's I just wanted to show that, that, that little rendition of that advertisement about how we're going to know the way of the world is 
not the way to God, but yet again, God, the guy turns around wanting something better than than hole in the ground, you know. I got it, brother. Hey, you got anything to to ask? Or that's it. That's it. That's all. All right, Larry. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. I'm watching your last week's show. Okay, brother. Thanks for bye. calling. Okay, bye bye. Uh, got some emails while the operator's lines are full, but keep trying to call. If you get a busy signal, try back. Got an email that says, my comments suggest you are, you are an exquisite example of a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. I have studied independently for 25 years. And it uh, goes on, each time I listen to you, I'm impressed with your grasp of only what you want to know to make your points of criticism. But each time as well, I marvel at how ignorant you are, Sean. You, and then she goes on to say, you obviously didn't really study when you were a member of the church. I mean, really study the Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, and yes, the Pearl of Great Price. Your summations, your criticisms, your comments show ignorance. She says, but please don't expend any more energy embarrassing yourself and those who tune in who have worked and gained more knowledge and understanding than you have. Your goal of educating Mormons is shallow and disingenuous. And I just want to say, Carol, that it never ceases to amaze me when a person who has really studied as much as you have can actually remain blind to the simple and plain truths of Christianity. All that studying that you've done that I'm, I'm so impressed with, Carol, you can't come to the simple knowledge that you're a sinner. Jesus died for you on the cross. And uh, by faith, you are saved, born again. And that's it. All these 25 years of studying, you've never come to a knowledge of the truth, Carol. Um, you can take your temple-toting, blood-atoning, multiple wives, extra-biblical studies, Carol, and uh, smoke them in some pipe because they mean nothing relative to the Word of God and the simplicity that salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, we have Deborah from Salt Lake City, but let me go to one more here. Terrell LDS sent me, says, here's some information on a Baptist born-again minister to add to your recommendation page. And he sends me an article from Johnston, Tennessee, where a Baptist minister has been charged with indecent exposure and driving under the influence. And he sends me the whole article. And uh, Christ in Christianity, uh, Terrell, my LDS brother, is for sinners. And uh, I hope for this man that he returns to his first love. And he is obviously has problems and he fell back and slid back and all the other things that can happen to you and me. But, uh, you know, the, the church, we have forgiveness and we have hope. You don't see me pulling out the stories of bishops who molest children on the show. I don't want to go down that road. It does happen. It's all over the Internet. We don't talk about that, the stuff like that because human failures are human failures. I don't talk about Joseph's failures in that. All I talk about are the things that these leaders make doctrine. That's the stuff I go after, Terrell. So if you want to pick on fallen pastors and preachers and ministers who make mistakes, go ahead. But um, I don't think it has anything to do with being a Christian. But then that makes sense, doesn't it? Okay, let's go. Uh, Luella and Craig LDS says, I'm 75 years old and I feel I have come to believe other than what the church teaches. I have been watching your show for about a year. I just love the TV program. Look forward to it to every week. And that polygamy really gets me, she says. So, Luella, it should. Your eyes are opening. Keep on going, my sister. Let's go to Deborah in Salt Lake City. Deborah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm not calling any for uh, about polygamy, but I did have a question. I want to get your view on something. My husband um, was raised Mormon, very Mormon family, up until the time he was about 16 or 17, and then he just... He'd had enough, and uh, he decided it wasn't for him. 
Anyway, he hasn't been practicing a religion really for a long time. And my question, though, we went down, I was not familiar with the uh, LDS religion at all. I moved from Florida, and we have the, uh, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses down there a lot. That's what we're familiar with there in Florida. Uh-huh. But uh, we went to the temple, and he took me around, and it's beautiful, a beautiful uh-huh. place. Um, but I was disturbed because we went to the conference center, I believe, up on top of the conference center. They had passages of the Bible, you know, engraved on the stone. It was beautiful. But right next to it, and held up just like it was the Word of God, is the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith, things that he said, and all this. And I thought, to me, it disturbed me because I thought it was borderline blasphemous. Yeah. It, it's just not, it's not right. You yeah. see, there's one true word of God, and that is the Bible. Amen. Other stuff is, you know, if it brings people closer to Jesus, that's fine. But I don't think the Book of Mormon does. Right. Their covenants and all this. And I have a daughter that's 11, and her father is uh, Mormon, and, and, and it's kind of difficult for me. But, you know, she's young, and, and I want her to keep harmony in her family, you know, where, where she is. But I'm hoping that um, her exposure to the Bible and uh, evangelical church, maybe, when she gets older, I'm hoping she'll break away. I'm, I will support her in whatever she wants to do. Yeah. But I'm hoping that she'll keep an open mind. Do you have I'm any, sure she will with that influence. Well, do you have any advice? I mean, just, just sit back and let her, let her discover things on her own? No. Uh, my advice would be, and I give this to... Most people who are in the same situation, I was in that situation, is you, whenever you can, you just uh, show her uh, what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus and teach her about Jesus and don't criticize uh, the Mormon thing. Ask her, what, are they, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And if she tells you, and then just give her the truth. Oh, that's interesting. Did you know? And give her the biblical stance and just keep reinforcing about how much uh, how, how Jesus offers her salvation, and it's just by believing that she's a sinner, she needs to be born, and just kindly and lovingly drip on her, and these seeds uh, the Lord will plant, and they will grow. I'm hoping so, because, you know, when she does talk to me about the religion, it's all about Joseph Smith. Yeah. The little songs that they sing, all about Joseph Smith. Yeah. She never hardly mentions Jesus. At one point, she wanted me to get her a crucifix, but then she told me she could not wear it, you know? Yeah, that's typical. And when she was with me, and I thought that was so odd. Isn't that odd? It's, to me, blasphemous. That's, yeah. that's the way I look at it. Hey, Debbie, you know, uh, about your thing with uh, being up there on t- the Temple Square and they have the mixture of scriptures and sayings and things. I mean, the best lies always are going to give you 99% truth. And then they're going to throw in those, those, those twistianities, as we call them. And they're going to twist it. And that's why they mingle all that stuff. And uh, people think, wow, it just must be Christian. Look at this is from the Bible. This is from the Bible. And they buy into it. Yeah, but the Joseph Smith things are not. No, they're not. And I just have a really hard time in them believing that they can work their way up into being a god. That is blasphemous. You will never be a god. There's only one god. Amen, sister. Really appreciate your call. Thank you. Okay, we'll see you later. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Stephanie from Salt Lake City. Stephanie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. You're not ignorant. <laughs> not at all. In fact, your knowledge is humbling. So I appreciate what you have been providing me personally. Thanks. Just quickly in regards to polygamy, I was raised LDS. And my personal journey, I felt that I was always being conditioned to be that polygamist wife. Wow. Even though they say they don't, that they aren't practicing polygamy of today, 
you are as a young girl conditioned to be a, 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 a multiple wife to a man for when you pass on. Right. And this was something I always struggled with. And in seminary, I remember bringing that up because I struggled with it. And the rebuttal to that was, well, when the veil is lifted, you will love it and you will understand that it's, um, it's of godly nature and, and you're going to be at peace with it. And I could never understand how I could be at peace with something that felt so horribly wrong. Wow. When you also talk about that elite group in just um, back then within the church, I feel that there's still that elite group, and it's more the male, um, the male in the male in. Oh, I can't even said what have you. That male group in, within the church. I, I, I was in different callings in the church, and as a woman, I was always treated differently, more so. I be the dutiful woman that followed um, what the man was saying. And right. anyway. Well, you know, I, I've never really thought of that, but I think there's a lot of parallels there. I'd like to discuss that sometime on the show oh. of how they, uh, how the setup does gear women to be able to be open to polygamy, even though it's really not taught outwardly. I, I'll have to say that. I want to make the LDS mad today. But there is a subservience that goes along that's outside of biblical um, yeah. direction. And, I mean, like bishops, when they interview you, they'll take you in. And, and there's a man and a woman sitting in this closed room, and there's doing all this counts. There's all this stuff, and, and there's just an overriding uh, something that I can't put my finger on that was there. When there's a woman who is a divorcee or is a widow or whatever, there's always a man there and his family to kind of care for. I, I just think it continues on, but that's just my, my little... No, I understand. And um, I mean, I, it, when you're high, of high school age, you have these boys that are being rallied to go on missions, almost like the, the football professional, you know, going off for the team. Right. And us little dutiful women are supposed to be home, the little cheerleaders waiting, staying so pure, right. keeping ourselves... Are in our bodies a temple for them, right? So we can marry them, and then when we pass on, we can add more wives. Yeah, to our yeah, exactly. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So well, I guess really what I'm calling of is they they claim that they, but as a woman raised within the church, I must definitely looking back felt that I was being conditioned and raised to someday be part of a polygamous family. Well, I love uh, hearing the thoughts on it. Stephanie, thank you so much. Uh-huh. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Listen, as far as the elitism, there's always that within the church. Uh, I have friends who live here, and they, they will still, even though they might not agree with the church, say, well, his dad's a general authority, you know, or his mom's on the Relief Society board, you know, and there's this elitism that comes as you climb up higher and higher. You're first a lowly little deacon, and then you become a teacher, and then a priest, and then an elder, and then a high priest. And then uh, King of King and Lord of Lords. I mean, it's just, and there's that hierarchy that, that goes on with it. It goes on with the priesthood, and I'm sure it went on in polygamy back in the day. We're going with Dave from Salt Lake City. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Doing well, how are you? Good, I have met you once before down at Squatter's Pub. Excellent. Anyways, um, I'm kind of curious. I just, uh, I think it's kind of funny. Um, my ward a couple weeks ago, gave a history lesson on the positive uh, aspects of the black history of the LDS church. Wow. And um, there was a uh, lady they were talking about named J.E. Manning. And apparently I came across some stuff here that apparently she was sealed to Joseph Smith as a servant. Huh. And um, 
when I went to bring this up during the topic, um, it seemed to like get them all upset, and they said that she was sealed to them as a daughter. Oh. Um, I had never heard of anything like this before. Hmm. But um, I, 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 don't I just know. get a kick out of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I uh, look forward to finding out uh, the truth on that. J yes, um, I just got, like I said, I just got it from a book, and um, it's from her biography, the biography of Janie Manning. Huh. And um, anyways, I just wanted to bring that to your attention because it really bugs me because down here in downtown Salt Lake, it seems like they're uh, baptizing like a tons of like African refugees. Right. And a few weeks ago, we had 17 of them in my ward baptized. Wow. And um, it seems like, I don't know, they're just trying to, like, I don't know, pull the, the wool over their eyes. Right. Um, as far as, like, I don't know, the, the early history of blacks the LDS church goes. Well, you can be uh, sure that they don't know the history of the LDS church. You yeah, can that's, be that's sure. what I'm seeing. I, and I'm seeing these poor people because they've never heard the true gospel to begin with. Right. And, um... And I don't know why I just felt like I should call and bring that to your attention, because I just think it's something that, that's just becoming a really big problem I've noticed here in downtown. Well, watch it go, Dave. I really appreciate the call. Okay, thanks, John. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, next week, I, I just can't emphasize this enough, it's going to be great, as we have two very informed women, one experientially, one experientially and doctrinally on the show. And I have a, I have a paper that I'm going to read to start off the show that's gonna blow your mind. I just got it. It's, you're not gonna believe it. I, I, I mean, I feel like I'm one of these cheesy guys, just tune in next week, but I'm telling you, I didn't have room to do it tonight. I just got it and it's gonna blow your mind. So tell your friends, tell your friends about Sandra and Doris being on and we'll go from there. We're going to Pete on line four. Pete from Orem, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, hello. Hey, hey Pete. Yeah, how you doing? I'm doing well, how are you? Is this Sean? This is. Oh, good to good to meet you, Sean. Hey, I was I have a couple quick questions, and then maybe a little bit more a question that's more in depth. Okay. First of all, what happened to your beard? Uh, I cut it off two weeks ago, uh, and it was because I was so disgusted with everything I was researching on polygamy. I thought, why am I doing this? They should end polygamy now. I'm not going to wear this thing for a year symbolically. So we cut it off, and I burned it on the air. Oh, okay. I, I like you without the beard. Oh, well, thank you. Just a part, and, you know, but, I mean, you, you don't know me, so it doesn't really matter. My second question is, is Denny's one of your sponsors? Because you have the Denny's cup right in front of you. Uh, well, I eat at Denny's a lot, and uh, they sometimes help me with my oatmeal bill. So, uh, there you go. That, yeah. that makes it worth it right there. Now, my more in-depth question is, is it possible for somebody to be a believing Mormon and born again at the same time? Well, my answer is, in, from my experience, yes, because I was a Latter-day Saint, and I was born again, and I stayed in the church uh, for four more years, and I was, without question, regenerated by Jesus Christ. The question, the real question is, can a person remain LDS after they've been born again for uh, the rest of their life? And to that, I would say it's virtually impossible, because you... Uh, I yeah. But, but you, you know, somebody could... Be saved by the grace, and at the same time, sure. be a believing Mormon. Sure, because because Jesus is the one who steps in and He changes your heart. And I believed in many of the things that the LDS Church taught me, and it only came after I was regenerated that my eyes were truly open. I began to see, and I read the Word. Okay, I, hey, I appreciate your time. I was just wondering about your opinion on that. You yeah. have a good day. All right, Pete. You too. Goodbye. Thanks for calling. Bye. We're going to Megan and Logan. 
Megan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Megan? 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 Get down here right now, Megan. <laughs> Megan's not here. We're going to Tasha in Salt Lake City. Tasha, you're on Heart of the Matter. Tasha? Yes. Tasha, you're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi. I met you at Squatters the other night. I'm a friend of Marky's. Oh, awesome. Um, I just had a question for you. Um, I have been a member of the LDS Church, and um, I went and saw my bishop, uh -huh. and he told me um, I was in an abusive marriage, uh -huh. um, got married in the temple, all that, you know, and um, my bishop told me that basically, um, even though my husband is abusive, that basically I um, am responsible if anything bad happens to my daughter, if I'm not doing everything that's right. Like if I don't go to church on Sunday or if I don't. And so I just have a question with that. I'm, what do you feel about that? I mean, what are your views on that? I think it's a lot of weight for you to carry and uh, a lot of responsibility. I think that you love your daughter, don't you, Tasha? I do, yeah. a lot. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want her to become an, uh, an alcoholic or a, a, a promiscuous girl? Uh, not really, right. but I wouldn't be, you know, right. I would still be supportive of her and try right. and get her the help she needed. Right, and, and, that, and that answer is a good one, but I'm just saying your intentions as her parent are not going to be to destroy her. Your intentions are going to do the best things you can for her. And so the bishop throwing that on you, that it's up to you. You've got to keep coming to church. You've got to stay active to keep that child straight and narrow, and you're the one. It's just ridiculous. Listen, it's going to be your relationship to Jesus Christ, Tasha, that's going to, that's going to bring him to your children. And even then, there's no certainty of it. Even then, they may choose differently. But you just be someone who trusts in the Lord and forget about all those things they're trying to heap on your shoulders, those extra pressures. You just come to know the Lord, and that's the important thing. Do you know him? Have you been born again? And then can you teach your daughter to love him the same way? Okay. I hope that helps. It's a tough situation because, uh, you know, there's so many variables. But, I mean, seriously, try to draw... Uh, near the Lord through reading his word and prayer and just trust him and your daughter will be much better off than any of the other man-made solutions. Okay. All right. All right. We'll thanks. talk again. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. We're going to Wayne in Salt Lake City on line four. Wayne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, Wayne. How are you? Fine, thank you. Very much enjoy your program. Thank you, Wayne. I have two questions, please. Okay. After the death of Joseph Smith, um, that was when the reorganized church began? Yeah. And was it Joseph's plan that his son would assume leadership of the LDS church? That's one of the stories. There was a debate on that, but yes, they thought, I'm sh I think it was David, uh, who he promised would be the prophet of the church, according to Emma and uh, that it would be a, a familial line, but uh, Joseph Smith had a son named David. But Brigham uh, argued that, and there, then there was that schism that separated them, yes. Does the reorganized church practice polygamy? 
No, the reorganized church, and, and in fact, it's a great point, Wayne, the reorganized church and all the other schism churches, at least a hundred of them, that have broken off from polygamy, none of them practiced polygamy. Even though Joseph Smith um, proclaimed that this was their doctrine. Yeah, but remember, he did it secretly. And only those of the real elect, it was only when Brigham Young came out and publicly uh, made it known that the people really started knowing it was going on. Thank you, Sean. Very much appreciate it. All right, Wayne. Thank you. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to Sarah on line one. Sarah. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Listen, hey, um, I just had a comment uh, for Tasha. Yes. Uh, as from someone who's been in an uh, abusive relationship uh, and... Uh, you thank God that in the last 35 years I've been with the same man, wonderful man, but before that I was in an abusive relationship. And no woman should ever submit herself or her children to that kind of relationship. Um, if it happens, then perhaps you can seek help uh, with the pastor or whoever, but if the, the man doesn't well follow through with it, then she needs to pack the bag and open the door and leave. Excellent advice. I really appreciate you calling, given that perspective. Yeah, because it's, God doesn't want that for anybody. And, Absolutely uh, not. You know, if the man has that kind of problem, then he needs to seek help for it. But uh, no woman needs to stay and put up with that kind of thing ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Sarah. You're welcome. Okay, God bless you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And we're going to Loretta from Murray. Loretta, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, it's my first time to call. Hi, Loretta. But um, I wanted to remark here, it seems that the Mormons believe that God is three different persons. And a couple of young fellows came to my place and uh, were attempting to give me their spiel. And I remarked that, uh, I asked, are you made in the image of God? He says, most definitely. I said, well, scripturally, I know we are made in the image of God, but I understand you believe God is three people? He says, that's right. I said, well, somewhere along the line you got cheated because you've only got one body. (laughs) If you're made in the image of God, how do you explain that? You know, for some reason they just never have returned. (laughs) That's an excellent uh, response, Loretta. Uh, maybe our viewers, when they run into the missionaries, can use it. Well, it certainly has worked here. They have not been back. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for calling. Surely. Okay, bye-bye. Listen, by the way, to let you know, you know, when it says that we're made in God's image, and then we look at the Christian idea of God, that means one God, three parts. It's really simple. We are made, uh, we are man and women, and we are made one person, three parts. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. It's a tripartite being in one God. And it's very plain to see that. We've talked about that before on the show. Uh, the Mormon's idea of polytheism automatically, like Loretta says, bifurcates a person, splits them in three different parts. It's an impossibility. We believe in one God. There is one God and one God only. It's God the Father, it's God the Son, and it's God the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go to Fran from Salt Lake City. Fran, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Fran? Good, good. (laughs) 
just like out of watching here on television, but I don't hear or see myself on there. But I've got to tell you, your show is fantastic. Oh, thank you. It is wonderful. If there was anybody to convert me to anything, it would be you. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> but I have a question for you. Yes. I have a sign behind you that says, Howdy, Partner. Yes. Where did that come from? How did you get that? That's a good question. And uh, before we did the show, we were looking for things to uh, make people, when they're going by, uh -huh. stop. We did this on purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we just made a set that was going to be down home and funky. And I was in a store in Ogden just passing through and I saw that sign and I and I brought it and I decided I'm going to put it on. Now, it used to get in the last year, early part, a lot of people made fun of the Howdy Partner. Some people call the show the Howdy Partner Show, but <laughs> it automatically makes people stop and say, what the crud is this, you know? <laughs> so I love it. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek humor. and uh, I think so, too. Yeah. Makes them guess and wonder. That's right. <laughs> Walking around with a smile and saying, well, what is she smiling about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it was good talking to you, Sean, and I hope you have another heart in the park real soon. All right, Fran, thanks for calling. Okay, dear. Okay, God bye bless bye. you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to take Jason, uh, line one. Jason, Salt Lake City. You've got one minute, Jason. Sean, I noticed you shaved your beard. Yes, I did. Nice, you're still a musty clown. Ah, perfect. Is that all you wanted to say? So, uh, well, okay, we'll end with that. And uh, as our teleprompter says, Dum! I will uh, finish up with, uh, we have a two-hour special next week uh, here on Heart of the Matter. And again, Sandra Tanner of Utah Lighthouse Ministries, uh, utlm.org, just a phenomenal resource that has been here for 30 or 40 years, diligently pioneers to what people have done to help people understand the truth about their religion, which so many don't. We'll also have Doris Hansen, an escapee from a polygamous group at 18 years of age, and then went on to find the Lord and has a ministry that reaches out to women and hopes, and she hopes to establish a safe house somewhere where the Lord will provide for polygamous women to go to and not be within arm's reach of their husbands. Lord's Word meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 at Gateway Theaters in Salt Lake City. If you have your own church, keep going there. But if you're looking for a place to study the Bible verse by verse, we started in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to begin on Matthew chapter 3 this week. You're free to come. It takes We go for an hour. We'd love to see you. We also do an evening service at University of Utah. Begins at 7 p.m., goes till 8 p.m., an exegetical verse by verse study of the Word. We do some singing, which is always humorous, and we do some praying. And then we get into the Word of God and look at it historically and all the other ways that God has provided for us. So we hope you'll be able to tune into that. Remember, next week, a two-hour Heart of the Matter special with Sandra Tanner and Doris Hansen talking about polygamy. See you then.